The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. I guess we're going to continue with this serial killer theme for a little bit longer. I kind of like it. I don't know if it's going to be the whole season, but we'll keep going for now. I'm telling you, like, listeners, make her do this all season because I'm kind of liking the serial killers. So I want to start, though, by giving a shout out to our newest Patreon supporters who will, as long as I have your addresses, will I will be sending you um, some goodies in the mail. You should also have already gotten coupon codes for the store. Um, if you're not sure if your address is on there, just check your messages that I sent you. If I didn't have your address, I usually ask for it. Um, so a big thank you to Sherry, Catherine, and Amanda. Yep. Thank you guys so much for becoming Patreon members and supporting us in this weird habit that we have. (laughs) I also want to give a a shout out to Chrissy, who noticed that we have a smoke detector blaring (laughs) in our house. Yes, we do. And Chrissy, guess what? You're getting another episode with a smoke detector blaring in our house because I cannot find the damn smoke detector that is going off. Like, you don't know how... It's driving him crazy. It's driving me crazy. Because we can't figure out where it's coming from. But on that note, I think we need to get into this week's story, the Bone Crusher. Well, I'm just going to give them an apology right now because our dogs are passed out and there is one that is snoring so damn loud. I'm sure you guys (laughs) can hear her. Yeah, it's not. But I'm not going to wake her up. That's make it worse. It's not a chainsaw. It's our Leah. Like she's old and she needs to snore. Yep. So this week's story is The Bone Crusher, Serial Killer in Peoria. It was the summer of 2003, and the body of 36-year-old Sabrina Payne was found in a field near Tremont, Illinois. Sabrina was a black female who was known to support a drug habit with prostitution. She had last been seen at her home two days before her body was found. The original autopsy failed to determine a cause of death, and so some detectives just believe that she overdosed. So this is like really familiar to the Mari Travis case. Yeah, like the, so it's, far. It's like we're just adding more to the one case. Right. But there was one detective in Peoria that felt uneasy about this assumption. His suspicions were confirmed as more bodies were found in Peoria and Tazewell counties over the next year. On February 5th, 2004, the body of 36-year-old Barbara Williams was found in a ditch near Edwards, Illinois. She was partially clothed, lying face down in the snow. She had last been seen alive at 9 or 10 p.m. the night before, so she hadn't been gone that long. An autopsy showed that she had multiple contusions and abrasions on her body. And what's interesting is toxicology showed that she had fatal levels of cocaine in her blood. I don't, didn't even know that, like, I, I mean, I'm not stupid. I know you can overdose, but you don't really hear about people overdosing on cocaine. No, not at all. 
You know, usually when you hear about overdoses, it's opioids, heroin, that kind of thing. So she must have, like, had a heck of a night to have the fatal levels. At this point, though, the police department was not ready to call this a murder or entertain any idea of a serial killer preying on black drug addicted prostitutes. So there's a lot that goes into that. Like, I can understand where if she had fatal levels of drugs, they might be not 100% sure. Yeah, like maybe she, like the contusions and stuff were from her falling. Yeah. Like, because she had passed out or something. Like, I could see, I could kind of see where the cops are like, eh, not Finding yet. her partially nude, though, kind of is concerning. Yeah. Um. You know, but we still have our, our one detective who's not, out. not real sure about this, and he's pretty sure they have a serial killer. Now, of course, there's only been two bodies, so you can't call it a serial killer until we hit nope, three. not yet. And we did that in October of 2004. 32-year-old Shakonda Thomas was reported missing. She had last been seen by her family that previous August. Shakonda was known to disappear at times, but when she didn't come back after several weeks, her family reported her missing. So I think it's important to think about that. Like, some people live such a transient lifestyle that they could be missing for two months before somebody reports them because that's just the lifestyle they've lived. Yeah. And I think that, like, these individuals make really easy targets because they're not heavily searched for right out the gate usually so it's just it's unfortunate it's another case where it's like somebody's preying upon society's weakest Shirley Ann Trapp was also reported missing late in the summer of 2004 she was seen three days before she was reported missing Tamara Walls was reported missing in September of 2004 after not being seen in her for three weeks. So again, another one where she was gone for an extended period of time. All three missing women were black females known to support a crack cocaine habit with prostitution. So at this point, our main detective here, he's quite certain of what is going on. But of course, you know, nobody wants to put fear into people. So nobody wants to come out and say there's a serial killer because when you hear that, then everybody panics and freaks out. So, you know, it's still kind of iffy. Um, I watched in evil lives here, uh, the shadows of death. And, um, this detective was on there and he also said that he felt like if they called it a serial killer, they would have to approve overtime and they were really restricted. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but it's a thought. It might have. 36-year-old mother of eight, Laura Lawler, disappeared from her home after leaving with a man and a woman. Her longtime partner searched for her, but was only able to determine that she had been with a man named Larry. Her boyfriend and father to her seven daughters and one son describes Laura as the love of his life and a beautiful soul. The two had experimented with crack cocaine, and Laura seemed to struggle with addiction prior to her disappearance. On, Septem on September 25th, 2004, Linda Neal was found on King Road in Tazewell County. She was found nude along the side of the road. Linda, like the other women, was known to be part of the drug scene in Peoria. 
At this point, police had determined there was likely a serial killer stalking black females in the Peoria area. A task force was formed, which one of the detectives states would have occurred much quicker if the victims had been white females. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think there's two two pieces to that. Yes, the media tends to ignore crime in the black community unless it's perpetrated by white people. Right. But at the same time, taking color out of it, the nature of who we're talking about also made it less of a story. Not that it's right. It's wrong. It's still wrong. But whether we like it or not, there's a lot of bias in society and a lot of people who feel like if you live a lifestyle with drugs and prostitution, like they don't really have a lot of pity for those people. I your disagree. Life's not, your life's not quote unquote worth what other people's lives are. Yeah, I, I get it. Like you hear, like I can hear our parents, grandparents, generation now being like, well, if you live a lifestyle like that, what do you expect? Right. You know, and I disagree with that. I That doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it right. People struggle with different things and they have to, you know, they have to figure out how to overcome it. But unfortunately, you know, society has a lot of biases. And yep. I, I think that if the media had covered this sooner, we may have had a solution before there was quite this many missing women. While police desperately searched for the killer, they kept a close eye on the women in the community at risk. So basically, they're patrolling around the areas where they know the working girls are out. Working girls is probably not the best term, but, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so they're trying to keep an eye on these women and keep them safe because they know there's somebody preying on them. But despite their efforts, on October 15th, 2004, Brenda Irving's body was found in a ditch near Farmington. Brenda was found nude, and an autopsy determined she had been strangled and suffered blunt force trauma to her head. She also had fatal levels of cocaine in her system at the time of her death. Her children had feared for their mother's safety as... Many of the women who had been killed or disappeared were actually friends of Brenda's. People she knew personally. Brenda was known to struggle with a drug addiction. Um, she was not known to necessarily be a prostitute, though, is my understanding. Despite detectives' best efforts, the case proved really difficult to solve. And they were getting frustrated because, you know, here they are, like, trying to survey the neighborhood, make sure everything's safe, and then, like, right under their noses, there's another murder. So they're starting to feel helpless. And so, you know, we're getting to a point where there's just nowhere to go with this. They just have to kind of wait for another victim and hope there's a clue. Like, that's an awful place to be. Yeah, it is. Like, what other choice do you have? Right. They had followed up with thousands of leads. And finally, they got the one they were waiting for in December of 2004. 35-year-old Vicki Bomar was arrested for theft from jail. She told authorities that she thought she could help them find the serial killer preying on her fellow sex workers. She believed that a man who had picked her up that past July was responsible. So immediately, though, you know, the cops are like, yeah, we're arresting you. Now you have information. You've never come forward. 
you know, she was known to the criminal justice system. So there's a lot of doubt. Like, is she telling the truth? Right. So Bomar tells them that in July, a man named Larry Bright lured her to his mother's home where they shared alcohol and drugs. Once she was intoxicated, she said Bright attacked her, attempted to rape her, and pulled a knife on her. Somehow, Vicky was able to escape. So please hear this, and they're really skeptical. I mean, first of all, it's three months later. You haven't reported it. Or no, it's more than three. It's about six months later. She hasn't reported it. And, you know, these people are continuing to find bodies and, and missing women. And so, like, if she knew this all along, why didn't she come forward until she gets arrested? And she does want a plea bargain in exchange for her testimony. So there's a lot of reasons to maybe wonder if she doesn't right. have an ulterior motive to give them false information. Well, there's 100% an ulterior motive. Yeah. Like, like but... I could, I, I, you'd understand why the cops were, would be like, eh, I really don't think that this is going to be truth. What's coming out of your mouth? You're just going to tell us what we, you want us to, like, what we want to hear. Right. So Vicky claims she was scared of being arrested because at the time she had outstanding warrants. So she said that's why she didn't come forward in July because she knew if she came up to the police station, they were going to put her under arrest. And so the detectives, they want to search that and see if there's any validity to that statement. And as it turns out, there absolutely was. So they said, you know what? We're at least going to go take a look at this Larry Bright. This could be a wild goose chase, well, but we're going to go take a look. And didn't one of the other people say the name Larry? Too? Yes. Laura Lomar disappeared and a friend right. told her told her so, boyfriend that she was with a man named Larry. So it's not like th this is completely unheard of like there's at least some connection like there's and i think there it's probable cause to be like okay we're gonna go knock on some doors and be like hey mr whoever yeah what's going on there so let's talk about larry bright larry dean bright was born in peoria on july 8th 1966 he served a two-year prison stint at age 19 for burglary and carjacking and according to his family, this time that he spent in prison changed him for the worse. Larry became very angry, violent, and he began to use drugs. Larry had an injury which started an addiction to prescription opioids and later crack cocaine. He also developed an addiction to pornography, preferring videos of black women, although Larry is a white man and we do know with serial killers statistically they stay within their own race so he's not really fit in the profile but we're going they kept looking he lived with his mother in a tiny guest house behind her home larry enjoyed gardening and created a beautiful garden of flowers for his mother when the police arrived at larry's home following the tip they noticed the garden like it's just gorgeous beautiful flowers larry was placed under arrest at that time but only for unlawful restraint of vicky because she was able to identify him so at least they had something they could take him in on right they questioned larry about the murders but he denied having any information about them he said he didn't know these women he didn't know they were murdered or missing but throughout the interview, Larry was smoking several cigarettes. So the detectives are like thinking, 
well, we're going to get his DNA because we're going to take these cigarette butts. But when they get done, he eats all the cigarette butts. If the, I saw, like, I kind of read a little ahead of you and I was like, yeah, if that's not admitting something. Right? Like, yeah. who the hell eats cigarette butts? Nobody. Nobody has pica that bad. Nobody ever. Right? In their life. And this, like, from a former smoker, wants to touch a cigarette butt. Mm-hmm. They also asked Larry if he would give them DNA voluntarily, and he said no. So, police search Larry Bright's home on January 20th, 2005. The investigators dug up the garden, and guess what they found? Several small bone fragments and ashes that were later determined to be human. When the police questioned Larry again, they told him they were digging up his mother's flowers. And at this point, Larry breaks down in tears and he wants to apologize to his mother. And he's, you know, there's a video where he's boohooing. I'm so sorry, mama. I'm so sorry. But he confesses to multiple murders at this point. He even led investigators to the remains of some of his victims. So this is where it gets creepy. Larry explained that on July 27th, 2003, he picked up Sabrina Payne on the south side of Peoria. He drove her to his home that he shared with his mother. He claimed the two drank and used cocaine before having consensual sex. Larry said he did not intend to kill Sabrina, but he became enraged thinking Sabrina was trying to rip him off. So he strangled her to death and dumped her body near the cornfield where she was found. So, I mean, I guess if you're on like a crap ton of drugs, maybe you would get real paranoid like that. And he was known to fly into rages since getting out of prison. So maybe this was not intentional. Maybe, maybe. It's a big maybe. Big maybe. Larry confessed to picking up Barbara Williams in February 2004. Again, he used drugs and alcohol with his victim. And he stated that once again, he lost control of his anger and killed Barbara. He claimed he caught Barbara stealing from him. He dumped her body along the road where she was found the next day. The prosecution believed that after the first two murders, Larry developed like a bloodlust. And at the time of his arrest, he said, quote, I knew then I would kill the others I would pick up. I went out hunting, end quote. I was trying, I was going to say that... Like, from what I've, like, his testimony and stuff, he doesn't really fit the quote-unquote psych, like, psychopath or sociopath. Mm -hmm. But then you said that, and it's like, okay, now we're really fitting the description. Right. Like, I, like, yeah. He went out hunting. hunting. Larry also confessed to killing Laura Lawler. He said that he burned her body in the uh, backyard burn pit. And he, then he buried the remains in his mother's yard under her flower garden. He said he wanted to destroy the bodies to avoid getting caught. They'd already found some of his victims and he didn't want that. He confessed to killing Tamara Walls and burning her remains. Her jawbone was found in the backyard of his mother's Peoria home. He admitted to strangling, beating, and burning Shirley, Allen, or Shirley Ann Trapp. Shaconda Thomas had the same fate after being picked up by Larry Bright. He burned the woman and buried the ashes in the yard. 
Because of his attempts to cremate his victims, Larry Bright earned himself the nickname The Bone Crusher. Larry said that he attempted to burn Linda Neal and Brenda Irving as well, but the attempts were unsuccessful due to weather. So I guess it must have been raining. And so that's why he chose to dump those women along the side of the road. Brenda's daughter on the Evil Lives Here episode, she says that she's so grateful that it was raining and so that her mother was not cremated in his backyard fire pit. At least they got to see her whole self again. So we're in Illinois, right? It's 2005, so they've already commuted all these death sentences, but death penalty is still a thing until 2011. Right. So Larry Bright is facing the death penalty following his January 2005 arrest. In an attempt to spare his mother the embarrassment of a trial and avoid the death penalty, Larry Bright pled guilty to seven counts of first-degree murder and one count of drug-induced homicide on May 30th, 2006. Should they have let him take a plea? No. But, I mean, we've said this a thousand times that death penalty cases are the most expensive cases that we can possibly have yep they take the longest time to start like Mm -hmm. you know with all the pretrial motions and stuff like that depends on the sentencing huh yeah so bright's murders were not considered racially motivated even though he killed the opposite race but really what what they theorize the prosecution, the detectives is basically that because he just was attracted to black women. That's why he chose black women. It's very rare for a serial killer to kill outside of their race, you know? So you always have to consider, is this racially motivated? But in the case of Larry Bright, we really don't think that it was, we think that it was just how he, you know, what he was attracted to. Right. Larry was sentenced to seven life sentences without the possibility of parole to be served concurrently. He was also given an additional 30 years for drug-induced homicide. As part of the plea deal, Larry will be required to serve 100% of his sentence with no parole consideration at any point. Then I'm fine with it. So he will be in prison for the rest of his life. That's always what gets me is the possibility of parole. Right. You know, that's the one that all that's the thing that always gets me. Yep. Because some of these people don't deserve it. And like some of these offenders that are younger, I get like you want to give younger people a second chance. But at the same time, if you give them 60 years with the possibility of parole after 20, they could still be very much young enough to go out and commit another heinous crime you know so i agree it's it's good that he got what he got and i think his sentence was fair and you know when once they abolished the death penalty that's what he would have gotten anyway yeah i like that they put the stipulation though that he has to serve a hundred percent of his his terms yeah like there is no he's never ever ever right getting out of prison ever ever anyway (laughs) he's currently housed at the shawnee correctional center in vienna illinois 
he will spend the rest of his life behind bars. But, you know, that doesn't really bring a lot of peace to the families of his victims. It's really easy to victim blame in, in cases like this. But the reality is the loved ones of Larry's victims want people to know that these women were more than just drug users or sex workers. They were people. They were mothers. They were daughters. They were sisters. They were friends. They were wives, girlfriends. Like, these were human right. beings. Right. And no matter what circumstance, like, in, no matter what circumstance anybody is in death is very rarely a good outcome right especially murder um so this past weekend we were in peoria and we drove past larry bright's house yep now because of the way the house is on the end of a cul-de-sac and there's kind of like some high fences, I couldn't really see into the backyard where this like little outbuilding is and where the flower garden was. I really wanted to kind of capture that, but I couldn't because, you know, this is someone's house. I'm not going to be like a creep and go trespass. We're just going to creep and drive slowly past it and take photos. Well, yeah, we're going to do that, but we're, I'm not going to like go in their yard and be a real weirdo. Um, but there's a picture on our blog of when they were excavating the garden and finding the body. Um, and then I'm going to put the picture that we took on Sunday when we were in Peoria. I'm going to put that on our Facebook page. Um, so you guys can see that it's not, there's not a lot to see really, but I personally am kind of, (sighs) If I get a chance to, and I know there was like a case that really interests me and there were locations and I'm in that area, I like to go there, not in a sick, morbid way, but more because when you talk about true crime, as much as I talk about true crime, it's easy to start to think of it all as stories and not real life. So for me, going to the sites kind of brings some realism to it. Does that make sense? No, it does. It, it it makes it, instead of a fantasy, it's factual. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to see the pictures or the resources, head on over to the blog at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. Make sure you like and follow us on Facebook. Uh, Patreons, you had a Patreon-exclusive episode this week and also some extra content, and there will also be a hint dropped very soon on our big announcement for patreons only yep so if you guys want to be a patreon because you're not yet but you love us and want to give us all that support um just go on over to patreon in the midwest crime files you can be a patreon for a dollar five dollars ten dollars a month whatever you feel is best whatever fits your budget um and that just helps us keep doing this podcast and and keep it alive for you guys. So we appreciate all that support. Yep. 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 He's like one and two wording tonight. We'll have like a negative iTunes comment about how the co-host, all he says is, yep. (laughs) All he says is right. Right. (laughs) Right. I don't even read. Sorry guys. We're recording this at, it is now eight, 13 on Tuesday night before it goes out. So I'm I'm a little tired. We had It's 8:13 and you're tired. I had a long day at work. <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. We will see you next week. All right, bye.